0: I encourage you to open to Psalm 73. And Before we read those words, let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we open your word that you'll speak to us. We pray that um, you use your servant Carl to explain this portion of scripture to us so that we can be challenged and convicted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes... So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds.
1: I wonder wonder if you've ever stopped to reflect on uh, just how much our society lives and breathes uh, on envy. You only have to uh, turn on the television and to watch uh, not only the the ads but also the television shows to to see that what we're being sold is somebody else's life. We're being sold the desire, if you like, for something that, uh, that we don't have. Uh, The advertising world thrives on that. I don't know how many of you watch uh, the Gruen Transfer or or that program, but it's amazing just how powerful uh, some of the techniques that the advertising world has uh, in selling us uh, somebody else's life, somebody else's thing, in, I guess, exacerbating, prodding and poking the envy which lies not really all that deep within I guess it's in the light of that uh, that society that we live in, that world that we live in where where envy is so prolific that that we discover that Psalm 73 is really a psalm for today. You see, Psalm 73 at its very core is a psalm about the destructive power of envy, the almost catastrophic, ruinous, destructive power uh, of, of envy. Uh, Psalm 73 shows us that envy is such a powerful force in fact that it can turn us against uh, God himself. Uh, I suspect many of us know just how powerful uh, an adversary uh, envy really is. Uh, We know the inescapable power that sometimes it has over us. Somebody has something else that we want and we won't rest until we get it. We can't stop thinking about it. We can't stop devising ways that we can get our hands on this thing that we have. But it would be a mistake to think of Psalm 73 as just about envy. It's not just about wanting somebody else's watch or somebody else's car or house or job or family. The envy in this psalm is so much more insidious, perhaps so much more shocking. You see, the thing that this guy ended up really wanting was the lives of wicked people. The psalm begins uh, with an unnerving situation. The writer says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? Why had he almost slipped? He says, because I envied the prosperity of the wicked. God is good to those who, uh, who trust in him. But I almost lost all that goodness, I almost lost it all. Why? Because I envied the wicked. Why did he envy the wicked? Well, he goes on to explain. He looks at the wicked and he sees their prosperous lives. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are, are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Everything just seems to be easy for them. And because their lives are easy, they plunge themselves further and further into evil. Almost with a kind of reckless abandon. Look what he says in verse 6. Therefore pride is their necklace. You know, It's like a, a, on display, uh, they, they want everyone to see how proud they are. They clothe themselves with violence. They put on the pants of oppression uh, and the singlet of subjugation. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their, their tongues take possession of the earth. Everything that their eye falls on, that's mine. It's like little kids, you know, playing with toys. Can I play with this toy? No, that one's mine too. Everything that their eye falls on, is that's mine, both in heaven and on earth. Nothing is beyond them, or so they think. And here is uh, the, one of the more shocking realities Other people love them because of it. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. People love them for their evil and they lap it up. It's amazing, isn't it, how many celebrities today have their whole persona built on being vile and oppressive and rude. Uh, I'm sure you can think of radio hosts that are like that. Uh, I'm sure you can think of TV programs that document that. Uh, TV programs that are all about documenting the lives of people who are offensive and almost honouring it and revering it. But here is the most crippling observation maybe of all. God doesn't seem to do anything about it. These people throw themselves into evil and God is absent. Also, it seems to the writer of this psalm. Well might these people say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? They might as well ask that because God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. They plunge themselves into evil and their lives are as easy as anybody else's. In verse 12 the writer gives his summary assessment of what the life of the wicked is like. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. And so he comes to a, an almost devastating conclusion. What's the point? What's the point of following God? Look at verse 13. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. Their life is wicked but easy. And he's been struggling to follow God and his life is hard. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. The psalm begins with those words, surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. But the writer says, I tell you what, I can't see that. Is he good? I'll tell you what I see, I see that my life is hard. I I see that I'm slaving away to try and follow Christ and my life is hard, it's difficult. And their life is easy. This guy is looking at what the Bible says, he's looking at the claims that the Bible makes and he's looking at the world and he's saying it doesn't fit. Bitterness has taken him over. Why bother? Why bother following Christ? Why bother fighting hard against sin? What am I getting out of this? And his answer is nothing. This is possibly the worst spiritual condition that any person could be in apart from giving up completely and turning away from God. This is as bad as it gets. This envy of the wicked has led this guy to almost unassailable bitterness. It's led him to asking, what's the point of knowing God? I don't know if there's anyone here uh, in that condition. I don't know if there are any people who are looking at their life and the cost of following Christ and the difficulty of following Christ and looking at everybody else in the world, the people outside the church, the people who make no mention of God in their lives, looking at those lives and saying, their lives are easy. What's the point? Why do I have a crippling illness? When I'm trying to to do all these things for God and their lives are easy and they don't have to worry about fighting sin. It just seems to be hard work. Well, if that's you, then you need to hear desperately need to hear the rest of the words of this psalm. And even if that isn't you, even if you don't find yourself In that position, yet you may well, if you don't find the remedy for that condition in the rest of this psalm. Now, the first part of this psalm maps, if you like, the devastating and ruinous spiritual condition that can result from being seduced by envy of the wicked. What am I getting out of following God, the writer asks. And the answer that he comes up with in all his bitterness is, I'm not getting anything out of following God. And yet, and yet, as bad as it got for uh, this writer, he could never quite bring himself to give up completely. As much as he he was embittered, as much as he was envious, as much as he was possessed by jealousy, he could not completely embrace the thought that he was was, uh, putting forward here. He couldn't bring himself to throw his hands up in the air and give up In verse 15 he says, If I'd said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Effectively he's saying, you know what, if I had have said that, if I had have said out loud what I was thinking in my head, if I had have said there was no point in following God, do you know what, I would have gone to hell. That's what he's saying. He's saying if I had have given up on God and said there's no point, I would have gone to hell because I would have sided with the wicked against God. But he didn't do that, and he couldn't do that. As bad as it got, he still couldn't give up. And yet it was still hard for him to understand. It was oppressive. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. It was like a great burden. It was hard until he went to the sanctuary of God. And it's when he went to the sanctuary, to the temple of God, that he finally began to understand what was going on. Verse 18, he begins to describe what he saw. He saw that the wicked, what they get, ultimately is judgment and destruction. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. The people are like... Uh, the wicked people are like uh, people walking around on ice. They don't know uh, when they're going to fall, fall over next. They could fall at any moment and slide into a bottomless api- uh, abyss. It's like when you're watching one of those movies, maybe like Lord of the Rings and, uh, and you know, someone's standing on a narrow rock ledge and you just feel that at any moment they could slide to their doom. And the writer is saying, that's what it's like for the wicked. Any moment, and they're gone. Verse 19, how suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like people swept away by the waves of the sea. Think about what it's like when a tsunami hits, a, hits a coastline, uh, where the coastline where unsuspecting people are going about their lives. They're, they're living and they're doing their thing. And in a moment, this huge wave of water comes in and sweeps them away. The psalmist says, the wicked are like that. One moment they're boasting, they're being malicious, they're being revered, they're being idolised. And the next moment God has swept them into a lake of his burning wrath. Verse 20, as a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Just as when you suddenly wake up from a dream the world which you knew suddenly becomes unreal, it ends, it comes to nothing. You realise that it was just a fantasy, an imagination. So it is with the wicked. In an instant God will awake and stop putting up with them and the whole world that they knew, the whole life that they knew will come to nothing as though it never existed. Just as they have despised have lived lives despising God, in return God says that he will live lives despising them. In the first half of the psalm we got the writer's view of the wicked. But now we get God's view, God's assessment. What are the wicked like? The wicked are sitting on a time bomb of eternal an unquenchable wrath from God. And it's God's assessment of the wicked, it's that horrible, terrible assessment which is the first remedy that this psalm gives to envying the wicked. If you're in danger of envying the wicked, what medicine do you need to take? you need to remind yourself of where the wicked end up. Yes, their lives are easy now, yes. Maybe that's true. Yes, maybe they're idolised and and envied and they have no concerns and worries that you have. But in a moment, their lives can be snatched away and all those things that you might envy will be snatched away with them. If you're in danger of envying the wicked, you need to remind yourself of the end of the wicked. They end up under the judgement and the wrath of God. So that's the first remedy to be reminded of where the wicked end up. But really if that's all all you see, you will not keep going. You will not keep following Christ if you only see the negative side. You need to see more than that. And the second and the more profound remedy that this psalm gives, which this psalm presents, is to see the benefit, is to show us the benefit of trusting and following God. The writer, you see, doesn't get it until he goes to the temple. It's only when he goes into the temple that he finally begins to have some kind of clarity of mind Why is it that going to the temple is helpful for him? What does he see? What does he understand? It's as he goes to the temple, I think, that he begins to see what the temple was a picture of. What was the temple supposed to represent to the people of Israel? The temple was supposed to represent the presence of God among his people. It was supposed to represent God living with his people. All of a sudden the writer realises that what he gets, that the wicked don't get, is God. The wicked get judgement from God, separation from God, but what he gets is God himself. Look at verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Here, Here is this beautiful picture of God walking along like a friend, holding his hand, holding him safe, keeping him secure. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. He begins to realise that there is nothing else in all the world except God himself. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Finally he sees, he sees clearly, he could lose everything. He could lose everything in this world and it wouldn't matter because God would be the rock of his heart and his treasure forever. What's more, the profound irony is in this psalm that it's only because God has been with him this whole time through this bitterness, through this oppression. It's only because God has been with him that he's actually been able to get through this bitterness and come out the other side. God is good to the pure in heart, but this guy's heart was bitter. It was oppressed. He was ignorant. He was brutish. And yet God was still good to him. Because he'd made God his refuge. You see, it's not about being perfect. It's about making the Lord our refuge and trusting in him. He says, I was brutish and ignorant. Why was he brutish and ignorant? He was brutish and ignorant because he failed to realise what he had as he was whinging, as he was complaining, as he was looking at everything else that the wicked had, he failed to see the thing that was smack bang in front of him. It's like a husband uh, you know, or a wife saying to their spouse, nobody loves me, I don't have any friends. Or someone saying to their loving and caring friend who's been putting up with them for years, I've got no one to talk to. How easy is it to do that to people? How easy is it to ignore the people that God has put in our lives who love and care for us and to become bitter and resentful because of it? How easy is it to do with people? How much easier is it to do with God? We fail to see as we look at the world and as we envy the wicked that the best thing in the whole universe is standing right before us and he's with us and he's holding on to us and he loves us. All this time the writer was looking at the wrong thing. The wicked got friends, they got success, they got good health but what he got, in fact what he already had, was God himself. And he thought that of little or no account. The psalm began with that almost question, didn't it? Surely God is good to Israel. But when the writer looked at the world, he said, I'm not sure that I see that. Is God good? Is God really good? In verse 28, he finally understands how God is good to him. Verse 28, as for me, it is good to be near God. Surely God is good to Israel but as for me, I almost lost it. I almost lost the nearness and the kindness and the love and the mercy of God because I wanted an easy life rather than the God of heaven and earth. I wanted more friends instead of the love and the kindness of the God of heaven and earth. God is good because he's with us. God is good because he holds us by his right hand. God is good because he leads us by his counsel. He's good because afterwards he will lead us into glory. God is good because he's our rock when things are difficult. God is good because he's our treasure and our portion even if we lose everything else the good that we get from following Christ and knowing him is God himself. Some of you might be sitting here this morning wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth going on? Maybe that's what you've been thinking through this week. Maybe it's just getting so difficult and so hard and you don't know whether you can keep going. Well, The psalm here, God here is saying if you keep trusting and following Jesus the treasure that you get is God. Here is the ultimate remedy to envying the wicked. It's not just to see the end of the wicked, it's not just to see the destruction of those who turn away from God. The ultimate remedy is to see that if you trust in Jesus you get God himself. When you're tempted to envy the wicked Here is the remedy. Stop and pray. Jesus, I thank you that I have you. I thank you that through you I have the Father. I thank you that through the Holy Spirit you are always with me. I thank you that you hold me by my right hand, that you guide me with your counsel and that after all this is over, I'll be with you. Thank you that I know you. You might not feel it, But that's the reality and those are the words that you need to remind yourself of. It's amazing as we go through the Psalms how we keep coming back to the theme of Psalm 1. What is the righteous man like? What is the person who trusts God like? The person who meditates on God's words and who speaks God's words to themselves. If you're envying the wicked, what are the words which you need to speak to yourselves today? These are the words, if I trust Jesus, I get God and that's enough to keep going. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know uh, the difficulties that each one of us are facing in our lives. Lord, you know where we're at. You know the uh, oppression that some of us are under. Lord, you know the strain that some of us are under. Lord, you know even the bitterness and the envy which is in the hearts of many of us perhaps. Lord, please forgive us if that is our condition. Please forgive us for the envy and the bitterness that we sometimes have even toward you. After all your goodness and all your mercy and all your love demonstrated in the death of your son, Lord, forgive us that sometimes we wonder if it's all worth it. Father, please help us to see the greatness and the wonder of knowing you and of being found in Christ. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.